we're back with another Q&A episode with the Red Dot Fitness crew, and we're taking questions from the audience. We love all the questions, and we appreciate you guys asking. If you'd like to hear your question asked and answered here on the show, well, it's easy. Just reach out to us. You can hit us at Red Dot Fitness on Instagram or email us, info at red.fitness.net. That's info at red.fitness.net. These shows don't happen without a sponsor. And just as a reminder, all of Ironside's podcasts are sponsored by Red Dot Fitness training products and programs. You can find out all about those by going to rdftrainonline.com. You can find personal training, membership, and self-guided program options all over the site. But if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. It's easy. There's a contact page there, or you can give us a call here at the studio. Somebody will pick up and happily walk you through whatever it is that you need to know. Again, that's rdftrainonline.com, rdftrainonline.com. Welcome to Iron Sights. This podcast candidly seeks to create opportunities and deliver impact by sharing the experiences and wisdom of successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders who unapologetically aim to win in health, fitness, business, and life. I'm your host, Scott Howell. Welcome to Old School Meets New School. Tradition meets innovation, and imperfection meets excellence. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. First question, what are your thoughts on sodium bicarbonate and or baking soda during workouts? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) so I had this thing came up. I've seen like a few clips sort of pop up, and then I had a guy reach out to me before um, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and then I actually saw him. So we sort of handled this conversation. And I was trying to kind of get where this is coming from. So yeah, the baking soda thing as a means to uh, buffer basically your 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 production of lactate or lactic acid, as people would mm-hmm. as people would probably refer to it. But we're really talking about lactate, uh, so that you can work harder for longer. Uh, this is where this question, I think, is. Is coming from. from. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, can you give us a little bit more about who this person is? What kind of uh, physical activity are they? So the person that asked the question, I don't know, okay. but I can tell you, I can tell you the person that I had the conversation mm-hmm. with, this dude's a big dude. Like, and when I say big dude, when I say big dude, this is not a dude I'd want to tangle with kind of dude, yeah. like a mm-hmm. uh, uh, very, very well put together. Okay. Uh, he spends a lot of time on the jujitsu mat. He was in law enforcement for a very long time and he takes good care of his, himself and his body. And he's just looking for, you know, kind of whatever performance gain he could get. Uh, and so that's, that was where that question came from. So it was like, you know, he's just looking for the edge. You know, how do I go longer? How do I go longer and harder? Uh, how do I get the edge over my opponent? So that's where that came from. So if we use that as context for this, I think it's probably, Hey, I'm trying to go longer, harder in the gym with my you know, with my weightlifting, or maybe it's um, out on my mountain bike or on my surfboard or wh- whatever. And combat sports as well. Yep. Yeah, all that stuff. So it's, but those are all different applications. And that does matter, I think, in the context of how we answer this question. So maybe we yeah. handle it from a couple different angles. Well, I mean, the research is very mixed on um, taking in sodium bicarbonate as far as like whether or not you take it in for a couple of days prior to the event or you take it, you know, the day of the event, anywhere between, you know, an hour and a half, two two hours prior to the event um, and what event you're actually doing. So the duration of the event. So if it's, you know, something more anaerobic versus something more aerobic. Um, yeah, the research is very, very mixed on, on whether or not this actually works. And I think also the other factor is how experienced of an athlete 
are you mm-hmm. when it comes to buffering the the lactic acid or or your threshold? So um, some individuals have had success with it. Some individuals haven't. I think that um, in, in reading some of the literature, it's the more advanced of an athlete you are, they were having a hard time deciphering whether or not it actually worked because they are so, um, I guess, well advanced at being able to to buffer that lactic acid. Whereas a, an individual who might be more um, novice or not even novice, but not as experienced within sport, they might have more of an advantage with trying this. But the the, the downside with it is when you ingest it, um, you kind of have to experiment with it and see how it's going to sit in your gastrointestinal tract because yeah, you can get nauseous, you yeah. can, you know, have diarrhea, um, and then it's going to impact your performance. So whether it's actually an ergogenic aid or not, I mm-hmm. mean, that's going to be a question. So depending on what sport you're in, um, how experienced you are in that sport, then maybe you can dabble in it Mm -hmm. and see how you do with it. Um, And maybe not do it before an event, maybe just try ingesting (laughs) a little bit at a time and seeing how it sits within your gut. Disaster pants on game day. Yeah. That would be really bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we think about what baking soda is as a base, right? So it neutralizes acid. So Mm -hmm. think about your intestinal tract and and, and your body has a pH all the time and Mm -hmm. it's always trying to manage that, that, that pH. And when it gets out of whack, it releases certain things or initiates certain processes in order to, um, up the acidity to level or back the acidity to level down. Um, neither is good being too acidic or having, or not. So you, you, you really want to be careful, uh, with this experimentation process in that sense, because it could really jack you up. But I think before anything may happen in the, in the bloodstream, and I don't know, I, this is just what the, what the reports within these studies were showing is that people experimenting with this. And again, it was, there were different recommendations in terms of how much they were giving people. Mm-hmm. And I believe in the meta-analysis that I read, there was like, they were studying like over, they were pulling in like 37 different types of studies, or there may have even been more than I know it was, it was north of 35 mm-hmm. studies. So there's a lot of research that have been I think pulled. they started with like 700 different research Maybe that's studies, what it and was. And then they, fought, they went through them and eliminated them down to like 32 or something yeah, because, like that. Yeah, because there were just too many holes in a lot of mm-hmm. these that in, in terms of being um, randomized controlled studies. Mm-hmm. That That's what it was. So it started with way more and they boiled it down to this. So they're trying to do a good job with this. And uh, again, there were reports within there of just people having upset stomachs. So I think about this, you put a base, right? An antacid into your digestive tract and you mess that pH up. Uh, that could have... <laughs> Dude, disaster pants. Disaster pants. <laughs> repercussions. Repercussions, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. But nausea, vomiting, obviously impacts your, is going to impact your performance. Um, and and beyond that, just, you know, how how your body has to recover for that from that for however long it takes your body to mm-hmm. balance that back out. Now, I've said this a million times, body's an amazing adaptive machine, but I don't want to be fucking it up like that because that could take me out of my game for days, right? It could also be taking me out of my event or... Uh, put me in a position where I cannot uh, meet a specific standard at a specific time or whatever else. So to your point, Cece, yeah, maybe you dabble with it and play with it. I mean, people are reporting, and some of these studies have reported, increased uh, performance results, measurable performance results. Mm -hmm. However, there wasn't any of them that could say it was because of the sodium bicarbonate that was being put into the system. attributed to that directly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so while there could be some some good... um, 
impacts or effects of that for certain individuals. Part of the thing that really struck me in these studies was the studies where there were measurable change. There was measurable uh, performance, performance increase. It was gr- it was equal to or greater than four minutes of activity. And the activity was more um, aerobic-based type activity where we were pushing towards threshold. And that those, those activities more specifically were cycling and swimming. So going back to you, you were asking me, like, who asked me this question? Well, let's just, just take the jujitsu athlete as an, as an example. Four minutes could be and seem like an eternity, right? Depending on what's happening on the mat with you and your opponent at a particular given time. Sometimes if you're out on the mat, you might just be flowing for four or five, six minutes. You're just, you're just rolling, right? And there's no, and maybe that's been decided, or maybe that's just part of the strategy of both athletes as they're out there in the mat, even if they're in competition. But think about this, and in, in, in something like that, that could get ramped up really fast, really gnarly fast, mm-hmm. and you know it could, turns into a scramble. Oh my God, I just got caught in a position that I have to exert extra energy. My, you know, in the 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 great jujitsu uh, athlete will be able to keep his keep his calm, right? Keep his composure and start to work his way out of there. But there, you may have to exert more effort and you dip into different energy systems. So it can become very anaerobic, very fast. And then maybe you go back into more of an aerobic state as you start to recover. So that can all happen multiple times inside maybe a four minute period or five minute period, depending on how long you're out there. So again, with the results that were like very market, you know, measurable, were more of the endurance type stuff, like again, in swimmers and cyclists versus like if you were playing, there was literally studies on like basketball players and tennis players and like, we don't know. That that was really what the outcome was. So, to your point, CZ, I think the a good recommendation is you can play with it. Uh, I'm not going to give any recommendation on how much you should be using, but there is a grams per kilogram sort of recommendation that you can find. I'm not going to put it out there because I don't want people fucking with it. On say, well, Scott said because yeah. that shit will happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I shit myself. I, I personally wouldn't play. I'm personally not going to do that. But I again, I think this is more about to your point, CC, and the studies point was it's really about energy systems. So that lactate gets turned into that lactic acid, which then gets used in the, in the, the process for creating more fuel, mm-hmm. right? And so your body has to, has to deal with this. And the higher level athletes that train and they start to work near their VO2 maxes and they understand these zones, we've, you've heard us re- reference them on the show before, one, two, three, four, five uh, zones. As, as people are pushing into those zones, they understand where they are in, in competition, whether they're maybe measuring that or looking that on on a device or or whatnot, and they're very closely and very carefully pushing into those zones, and then knowing how to recover out of those zones, and so that they can work up to that edge without spilling and going and bonking or going over the top. Uh, so we're really talking about energy systems here. It's not just you know what's happening from an acidity perspective. That is one component of how the energy systems work. So as you're dumping this stuff back into the system. Um, the the more you train at that, the more you you work at that um, at that that level, whatever those zones are. So say going from zone four to zone five, and then back down to zone two or zone three, and you're managing that uh, carefully in your in your exercise programming. You could train your body to get better at buffering the stuff over time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what cyclists are doing all the time, or swimmers are doing all the time. They're riding right at the edge of that threshold, and knowing that if I go beyond that, I'm I'm done. Like I'm the clock just sped up on me and I'm, um, I'm going to be trashed. So again, this goes back to the elite athlete thing. Elite athletes are managing this probably a bit better and they're also probably a bit better conditioned. So 
A lot of depends here. Yeah. A lot of depends are, yeah. but I, I just be careful in what you're doing just so you don't make yourself sick and as Stephen referred to it. Disaster pants. Disaster <laughs> pants. Next question. Should you focus on working out or diet first? That's a good question. Uh, like if you're coming back into your game or you're trying to, you're maybe trying to get into the, get your fitness under control. Um, that's a great question. Yeah. I think it depends on the individual and uh, what they have the, the capacity for. What What are their goals? You know, because the fitness component, um, you know, if you, if, that's, that could be two, three days a week of, of hitting the weight room and then doing some nice easy walks on the off days or whatever it may be. Whereas with nutrition, I mean, that's 24 seven, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. yeah, you can follow the 80, 20 rule, but at the same time, like, well, what are your, what are your goals? What do you have the capacity for? What's your lifestyle? Like what, mm-hmm. what, else, what other stressors are going on in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they, there's lower barrier to entry as far as the movement piece. I mean, you need both. So to say that you want to, you know, start with one versus the other. But I guess if that is the question, if that's the hypothetical question, um, I guess it depends on your level of, of commitment as well, Mm -hmm. because there is going to be a lower barrier to entry to the movement piece. And like you said, CC, the, the nutrition aspect, that is something that is daily. And for a lot of people, it is intertwined with their psyche, with their lifestyle, mm-hmm. their their social environment, their work mm-hmm. environment. There's mm-hmm. a lot more moving pieces as far as getting your nutrition in order than getting into the gym a couple times a week or getting outside, walking around, getting on your bike, whatever the case may be. That's a little more, you know, you, you can just get up and go. More accessible, uh, yeah. And versus, uh, you know, a when I'm working with someone uh, on nutrition and lifestyle, a lot of times I'm spending the first several weeks just sort of unwinding and and untangling all of <laughs> these other things that are going on in their life. Like, okay, if in order for you to schedule meals throughout the day, first we have to move this piece out of the way, and then we have to work mm-hmm. around your work schedule and what's going on with your kids. And there's there's a lot more moving pieces that need to be untangled before. Um, you know, they can really even begin to focus on food choices. It's they have to work on their lifestyle before they even have to be concerned with what they're putting in their pie hole Mm -hmm. versus movement. It's like, just get your ass moving. Yeah. You you hit the nail on the head with the kind of the entangler I refer to it as a very sticky web, you know, because once you go one direction with one thing, it's connected to another thing and you're pulling and you're tugging on these web strings or whatever. And you may not realize, you know, you start in the middle and you start working your way out. It gets very, very intricate. Uh, you, you're making a good point there about barrier of entry. I think part of that barrier of entry and what makes it easier is if you've already decided, like I'm, I'm I need to be healthier. I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to be fit. Like the exercise piece, it, it almost just makes sense. And but also it feels good when you do it. Like maybe not initially, like you're winded or whatever, but you have more controls here, right? Uh, and what I mean by that is you you can choose to push a little harder or not push a little harder and you can immediately feel what that makes you feel like and you can make an immediate adjustment to it and if you like the the, the feel good you know hormones or whatever that, that you satisfaction. get satisfaction yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean you walk out of the gym you're hot and sweaty that equates to right equals that equals great workout yeah. i burn calories i burn fat today i'm getting fit i'm fitter because i did that uh you know, obviously it doesn't really equal that all the time, but you get that. So that barrier of entry, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I step back from it and kind of go like, yeah, 
first off, we have to examine mindset, and that's very, very important as we get in get into this. What should I put, be putting first? Most people choose exercise first for the reasons you've already said. Um, that I would ask the question. I would ask the person that's asking themselves this question would be, "What do you want to do, and why? Like, what do you want to work on first, and why?" And that. The, the answer to that question, I, I think, will lead them probably back <laughs> most of the time to the exercise piece when they, if they really start to examine what their why is and start to pull up because they'll come to the conclusion on their own and understand that the nutrition and lifestyle piece do go hand in hand, like you said. It's just going to be, they're going to have to have some realizations first. And when they have that realization, they're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe I handle that second. Now, here's my approach to this, like as a coach, because most people come in and they don't go, I'm here for a nutrition, you know, coach. I, I want to work with somebody specific on my nutrition. Don't tell me how to work out. I don't care about that. That 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 happens seldom to never. Yeah, pretty yeah. So when people <laughs> walk into a facility like this and there's not a lot of, let's just say call it brick and mortar nutrition, mm-hmm. you know, uh businesses out there, they are, you know, they're online or somebody's working out of an office, you know, home office somewhere or whatever. That's just kind of that's the majority of how it works. Uh, when they come in, they're already got in mind that they're going to do their, their, their fitness, their fitness plan. And, but sometimes they do come in and they're like, no, I want to do both. Like I am all fucking in, like I want the nutrition coach. I want the personal trainer. You know, I want, you know, I've got my therapist that I'm working with. I've got my, you know, whatever. I've got all the people on my team and I'm going to do it all right now. That sounds great. Like, and I'm glad you're motivated, but I honestly, I talk people out of that. And it's going to tell you what, yes, it's very important that we work on the nutrition piece, but let's get you knowing again, that is very lower, much lower barrier of entry and the return on investment from like the feel good part happens much quicker. And those realizations are typically much more positive on the exercise end of things versus the nutrition end of things. I usually am like, Hey, how about this? How about we get through this first week, you know, 10 days of training. Let's just get through, see how your body responds. Let's get the schedule laid out. Make sure, you know, you haven't overcommitted to anything that, you know, you can get here when you're supposed to be all the things that tend to creep up that get in the way of somebody's program. Let's get that going. In the meantime, what I want you to do is I want you to start tracking your food. Right. And that in and of itself is like a ton of work for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And those were those realizations start to pop up. It's like, oh fuck, this is going to be a little harder than I expected. Uh, I had, yeah. And so they're, I don't want to say they're grateful. Uh, unknowingly, they may be like, oh shit, like I do have some stuff to work on. And if they're doing both of those at the same time, then we've kind of handled this exercise component. We're getting to know them a little bit better and a little bit more. I would just say comfortable circumstance because we're not having to dig so deep. We're talking about, you know, maybe lifestyle, uh, medical history, you know, workout histories, things like that. But I'm getting to know you through the exercise component, not through the, so tell me what you do when you're feeling depressed with your food. (laughs) You You don't have to sit down and tell me that you'd, you know, yeah, and I think it's, it, it's, it's easier to maybe stack a few small wins with yes. the exercise piece to, uh, you know, to get somebody going. Whereas, yeah, the the frustration and feeling stuck can come faster on the nutrition and lifestyle yep. end of things, um, because yeah, of those some of those realizations that you talked about that are more positive on the exercise side, they're a little more negative sometimes yep. when people are beginning to track their food and they're like, wait a minute, oh wow, I didn't really quite realize like. 
I'm consuming this much sugar right. or, you know, they, they, th- the feedback they get tends to be a little more discouraging yep. initially. Yep. And that's when, you know, the, that's a, a lot of my job is almost like damage control and, you know, there's no failure, only yep. feedback. Right. Uh, don't, don't like, don't get down in the dumps because the first week you're like, oh, I eat like shit. I'm mm-hmm. a failure. Yep. Um, Whereas, yeah, on the on the exercise or movement side of things, yeah, you get those endorphins, you get that positive reinforcement that might kind of buoy someone's motivation. Um, it's a little e- they're a little easier to come by. So hopefully that answers the question for people that are kind of playing with this in their head. They are equally as important. Mm-hmm. There's not one that's more important or less important than the other. They all play into the bigger scheme of things. Uh, those are only two components of a much larger uh, thing to be looking at here. We talk about that all the time, but uh, maybe that helps you kind of decide like, where should I start? Where am I going to have, where can I, where can I, I stack them the most wins right now to keep me on the right track. And here's the other thing with exercise, especially if you haven't been doing it for a while, you're going to start to feel and see a result from consistent exercise really quickly. And, and if you're doing those things, if you've got a good program, but you're consistent, uh, as soon as you start to make little small changes with your with your nutrition, it basically exponentially uh, adds to stacking those wins. Uh, you don't have to. And so my point of that is, is like, let's get some wins going. Let's gather a little critical mass, critical momentum, momentum, sorry. And we can come over the top of some nutrition stuff and really nail it, um, nail it home for you. And once that usually starts happening, people are like, oh shit, this is good. You know, until they run into little things along the way. But that's the, that's the, uh, the great part about coaching. And so people listening to Steven going, dude, did that guy just say like he would steer me to exercise before nutrition coaching? If I called him up to, to, to get some nutrition coaching? No, that isn't what he said, (laughs) but he's going to have a really very real conversation with you about, you know, what is going on and just understand that, you know, you're not going to get nutrition advice from anybody here without also talking about your, your fitness program and vice versa. So, uh, thanks for handling it that way, Steven. Next question. Should you worry about working out or not when on summer vacay? Mm. Mm-hmm. Like summer vacay, like school summer. is out, like hags, like yeah. have a great summer. <laughs> uh, I, like, yeah, I'm, I've got this vacation I'm going on. I'm going to be gone for a week and I'll feel like a piece of shit if I don't work out while I'm gone. Um, I have mixed feelings on this. I do too. I think it all has to do with mindset and what are your goals and what do you want to achieve? Is this vacation supposed to be down-regulating and how much of a stressor is it going to be if you're not exercising? Or maybe, you know, if exercise is a really big deal, then you do a vacation that incorporates some mm-hmm. exercise in there, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, depends um, on yeah how, how big of a part of your day-to-day life it already is mm-hmm. and how challenging or how much it may interfere with the relaxation aspect of your vacation. Like me, me personally... It's so ingrained in my day-to-day life that I would feel worse if I did not, even if I was on vacation. But that's not the case for everyone. For everyone, yeah. Yeah, I I think it depends. Like, what are your, you, you mentioned, like, what are your goals? Because if you have a very specific performance goal for an, an event or something, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be an event, but there's a performance goal with a, like, a hard stop at some point or a hard hard number or something you're trying to reach, the question to ask is like, how will this vacation impact that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether I work out or not, because, you know, inevitably when you go away on vacation, lots of things change, schedule changes, food intake mm-hmm. changes, uh, sleep schedule changes, your, your workouts change or your, your, um, 
your access or your availability or what's available to you in terms of whatever training you might be doing. Um, I think the, the, I would, I would take a step back here and we, we talked about this before in terms of periodization of your, of your, your fitness and your nutrition program and planning these things out. So most people's vacations are planned out fairly well in advance. Uh, and if they only spent, I think I've even written a, written a blog on this, or I know there's a video of me kind of talking about this within our Fuel You program about if people spend as much time planning out their nutrition and fitness program as they do planning for that vacation, God dang, people would have so much more success and more organization around it. Like, think about this, like you, you figure out where you want to go. You've chosen, we're going here, wherever that is. You're going to Hawaii, right? I know it costs me this much money to get there. I need to be out in front of these plane tickets. I want to be out in front of this Airbnb or this hotel package situation. Here's the excursions that we want to take. So I need to plan for that time and I need to make sure I have the finance for that. Uh, and, you know, I, there's also this thing that I have to do in order to, you know, to, to get the kids all ready, ready to go. So I have to manage their schedule over here and make sure I've got the dog sitter set up. And, you know, then I got to go buy my outfits, you know, my new outfits. <laughs> I got a 21 year old. The only, when she, tra- she travels all the time, the only thing she talks about is like, I, I need more outfits. I don't have enough outfits. So I got my outfits, my bathing suits. I got the kids set up. I like, I need that new piece of luggage. I mean, think about all that ridiculousness, right? It, it's not because what you want to do is you want to make sure when you get to your vacation and all the finance and all the time and all the energy that's put in, you get to reap the rewards of that when you get there. Now, what does that have to do with the workout piece? What I'm saying is, is if people put that much energy into mm-hmm. planning for their, their workouts and stuff, or workouts and their nutrition plan throughout the year, they would have tons of success. They would get to their goals. Like they, they would be having a great time doing it because they're treating it the same. They don't, they don't treat it the same. So working out on vacation, so if, if, if you plan things out, like you could plan that the workouts into that vacation very in a lot of different ways. One would be, I'm not working out at all. Mm-hmm. Like that is a off week for me. I am, it is, I am going to go on a diet break. I am going to go on an exercise break. Uh, I, and I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to feel really great about that. Uh, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because I won't have access or I'll be very limited or maybe it's cause nope, I'm just choosing to do it that way. Or it's no. I just like I planned all those other events, like I'm also looking where's the local gym. You know, I'm not going to work out in that shitty hotel thing that they have there that they say they have an on site gym because I know I can't get done what I need to get done there. Right. So, where's the local gym? How much does that cost? Can I get a day pass? Can I get a free week so I don't even have to pay for this? What's the time? What's the drive time between? Like, those are all things that you, you want to be planned. If those impact the vacation, right, and everybody else's time and the things you're trying to get accomplished there, whether that's you know, the emotional stuff, the physical stuff or whatever else. And I think you need to weigh pros and cons. Uh, should I be doing that uh, or not? Uh, if all of that causes more stress, mm-hmm. right? And more turmoil for you and your travel partners, buddies, family, whatever else, then you should maybe th- be thinking real hard how you manage around it a little bit. But to your point, Stephen, and I-, I was like this for a very long time, like when we go away, like, my, my workouts don't stop. And I know a lot of people that do that. But as I've gotten older and my, my let's just call it my vacations, I travel a lot. They're not necessarily vacations. When I go on my vacations, I don't worry about this as much. But 
What we do plan for when we go is something physical. Yeah, something active while you're there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. so that's what you were saying. You know, CC is like, okay, so I'm not, I might not be hitting my bro split on Monday, Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, or whatever. But what I am going to do is I, I do have access to the weights in the gym. So I've got this little workout I'm going to take with me and do that twice. And I'm going to get up early before the family does or whatever. I'm going to get that done. I just need to get that done twice and I'll feel good. That's a good goal, right? Mm. And then we're going to hit the, this hike, you know, like we're going to, you know, again, Hawaii's got all kinds of hiking. I use that as the example. We're going to go hiking. We're going to do that. So I'm going to get some physical activity in so I don't feel like a total piece of shit. Because uh, so, I get that mentality. Mm -hmm. But understand, like, vacations are a good thing. And not working out uh, on your vacation can be just as rewarding as getting your workouts done. So I don't know. That's that's kind of my answer. I think it's more of a mindset thing. But think about the planning piece. Again, if, the vacation thing. If people just plan their workout and nutrition program like they plan a vacation, fuck, they'd be so much happier. They'd be so much happier. Good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Next question. What are three lifts I can do on my jujitsu off days to develop insane strength that I can bring back on the mats? Hmm. Combat be, sports and lifting weights. Insane though. It's insane strength. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. This is so how do we define insane strength, strength right? What on the jujitsu mat. Well, one of the first one first exercises that come to mind um, to me. I don't do jujitsu, but I'm thinking some type of row. You know, whether it's a cable row or a bodyweight row or, you know, bodyweight loaded row of some sort because you're going to be working on grip strength. And I know mm -hmm. in jiu-jitsu, grip strength is huge, mm -hmm. right? Um, and having to stabilize your upper extremity with your your back and your shoulder blades or the muscles that surround your shoulder blades. So I would say some type of row. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, where do you, you want to weigh in? I'll, I'll pass it to you okay. with, with the jujitsu experience. So the jujitsu, my jujitsu experiences is, is limited. I started it late in life. I, it was a big disappointment in my life. Actually, I wished I started it much earlier because when you start jujitsu, there's, you're taking a beating, right? It's just what it is. And I don't mean like you go into to a school and people are there like literally beating you down, but it is, that's happening. Like you're just trying to figure it out. And, uh, my level of resiliency at the time that I started and, mobility, flexibility. I didn't have all, you know, I had a bunch of stuff. I was, you know, baggage, let's just say I was bringing to the table, limited me a little bit. So, um, what I did have was power and strength. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that did, that did help me. But when I, when I think of jujitsu and, and this guy is actually asking specifically about strength. So this is not about hypertrophy. It's not about getting big. Right. And what I know about jujitsu athletes are, are, are getting them on in the weight room is tough to do. Because jujitsu is life, right? Uh, most of the time, like you're, if you're rolling four, five, maybe seven days a week, and you're doing that for a couple hours a day, and maybe that's only an hour session or an hour and fifteen minutes session, but there's the time before and the time after and whatever else doesn't leave a ton of extra time, you know, for people that are, that have jobs, have families, whatever else. So, in terms of building strength and quote unquote insane strength, and what I might be putting in my program, uh, given the things that I just said time restrictions and things like that. I'm going to piggyback off what you said, but something that's going to improve my grip, my grip mm -hmm. strength uh, is, is going to be key uh, because it's, it's so important, but also like in jujitsu, there is, there's, there's a power component, mm -hmm. right? And so when you look at strength building uh, specifically, you're, you're, you need to keep a couple of things in mind. Like uh, uh, most jujitsu athletes are not trying to get bigger Right. So what they need is that explosive strength, right? They need to, they, need, they need, yeah. And they need to, they need to build strength and then be able to express that strength 
in all the different things that they might get thrown at them out there on the mat. So um, here's what I'm going to say. One of my favorite strength and also power building, but more specifically strength building exercises would be like a power clean um, or hang power clean or a, like a, and you could, it doesn't have to be with a barbell, right? You could do a clean with a dump or kettlebell. You could do cleans with dumbbells. And I would actually, I would actually recommend that uh, to somebody like, so a single arm dumbbell power clean or even snatch. Uh, to help build strength uh, through the entire body. It works that pulling component that you were talking about. Also works the grip component. You don't have to have a lot of equipment. You don't have to have a lot of space. You don't have to go to the gym to do it. You don't have to have a platform, bumper plates, any of that. I really like that exercise as a, not as a, not as a staple or base for your entire program. But if I had to pick three exercises, I would put that one in there because it's training. It's, training, it's sort of, it's a full body movement and it's Mm -hmm. training power. It's training your strength, but it's also training your power in what I believe to be a very, it's a, there's a lot of utility in that movement as it relates to getting out onto, getting out onto the mat, Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, this, the other one you said was some type of a row. Yeah. Yeah. You could use, you know, that it's some type of a pull or a row. It could be pull-ups, uh, if you just have a pull-up bar, but some type of a row, if you have a barbell or again, go back to those dumbbells or kettlebells, if you're limited. Um, I love those though. Yeah. A- a- anytime we're, we're working through shoulder retraction, look at any longtime grappler. They're elevated and internally <laughs> rotated at their shoulders. They've got grappler shoulders. They just look like that. So anytime we can start to, you know, work, um, work those back into scapular depression or retraction, I think, you know, working some type of a single arm dumbbell row or, or row like that would be would be, would be great. Um, the, the last one that I would, I would say is some type of a squatting or lunging movement, mm-hmm. right? I would have said the exact same thing. Which one would you pick? Um, I'm actually thinking more of, of a lunge or Bulgarian split squat yep. or something like that, where your stance is a little, uh, is, is offset versus being bilaterally even. Um, because I would think within jujitsu, I mean, that's the, if you're standing, from what I've observed, um, you're not going to be necessarily standing square to anything. Nope. So you're going to be in an offset position to be able to um, apply and absorb loads. Mm-hmm. And then also um, isometric holds within that kind of a stance too. So um, that's just my yeah, I like it. It. I like your – so pe- I think a lot of people can kind of get their head around like the Bulgarian split squat where you've mm-hmm. got one – one uh, leg up behind you in more of an elevated and it's kind of out of the movement, so to speak. You're using it for balance and then the other one's out in front and you're, so you're isolating one side. You're using your entire body to move the weight, but um, you, you're, you're using one side. A lot of things you can do with that. You can vary your stance position. Um, you can uh, load that differently. You can load it up top, say in a front rack position with, again, go back to my kettlebell or my dumbbell. You can use, uh, you can uh, load one side ipsilaterally or contralaterally. Uh, that would be, you know, same side versus opposite side uh, with that dumbbell or with that kettlebell. Um, again, if you've got a barbell and you want to load it on your spine, you could you could do that front or back, however you want to do that as well. Uh, I think there's, again, a lot of utility in that because of the balance component um, and the proprioceptive component that I think that goes on there. And again, you don't, the risk to reward there is really good. Uh, versus like, I'm really trying to build insane strength through this huge, you know, barbell back squat. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a lot of risk to reward there, or there's a lot of risk um, in order to get the reward. And, you know, depending on where you are in your journey here, uh, the difference between getting, you know, your 
squat from 100 pounds to 200 pounds is a much, much different program than getting your squat from like 400 pounds to 500 pounds. Way different in terms of where you are in your journey here. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a new athlete, if you're a new jujitsu athlete, nothing wrong with starting to build strength through those basic movement patterns. Maybe it's, you know, you're not doing a snatch yet or a, uh, excuse me, a, like a power clean or a overhead snatch with the dumbbell. You could use that one too, I guess. But um, you're doing, you know, your basic Romanian deadlift or, you know, deadlift from the floor, box deadlift or whatever. It's a, it's a variation of what I've said. It's just not the explosive one. Um, the, if you're, uh, uh, again, going back to the rows, that's basic. You could do everything from pull-ups to, you know, you know, seated rows or something, but, uh, going back to the, to the squatting piece, you can, you can go to those base movements and start there. So anything squatting, hinging and, and pulling, I think are going to be your, your, your big things. But I, I think those are, would be our, our picks for insane strength on the BGJ, man. Next question. Is protein powder a waste of money? Mm. Uh, for a lot of people, I think it is. I yeah. mean, you want to weigh in here, Stephen? <laughs> the protein powder that sits in your cabinet that never makes its way into your mouth? Yeah, that's a waste, <laughs> of, <laughs> money. A waste of money. Yeah, that, that's the same, same thing for any supplement that uh, doesn't actually uh, find its way into your body. Yep. Um, but yeah, if you are actually utilizing the protein powder, then it could be very well worth the money. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I recommend often because the probably the, the most common deficiency I run into with my clients is protein. Mm -hmm. They're under consuming protein, women specifically, and um, they are struggling to eat that much protein. It seems like a lot of volume and makes them feel very full or sluggish or how could I possibly, you know, for a lot of, how could I eat this much meat? And they have, you know, maybe a limited understanding of, of plant protein sources, um, which can lead to some bloating as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's something that I, I recommend for a lot of people who are struggling to hit their protein goal, 20, 25 grams. It's easy. It's quick. They can dress it up with, you know, fruit or nut butter or flax seeds or chia seeds or some sort of greens. Um, and you know, if they're struggling to hit their caloric goals as well, you can make that 100, 110 uh, calorie scoop of protein powder into 200 or 300 calories Real fast. that is yeah. easy for you to uh, to put together, that it's easy for you to digest. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it all boils down to with any kind of supplement. And that was something when I was in that industry and people would ask, well, should I take a capsule or a gummy or a powder or a liquid? Should I inject my protein powder? Um, <laughs> should I, main, should I mainline it? Yeah, should I freebase my creatine? <laughs> um, I said, whatever gets it into your body right. most consistently, what is the easiest for you to take? What is the one that you think that you will be able, well, I don't like swallowing capsules. Okay, then get a liquid version or get mm -hmm. a powder version. Um, well, I am an adult, but swallowing capsules is challenging for me for some reason. Okay. Then you can have your gummy. That'll be okay. As long <laughs> as your, your, your gummy is better than nothing. nothing yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it can, it can be utilized strategically and be very effective, but it's a matter of you actually using it. Using it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you're not using it, it's waste of money. Yeah. I, I'm going to add a couple of things to this. Uh, one is, um, you know, you were, you were just talking about different types of proteins, whether it's, um, you know, uh, plant, or plant or animal based protein, where your, where your protein is sourced is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you could be spending more money than you should be on, let's, I would say like a lesser 
uh, a lesser uh, quality protein. Uh, that does exist out there. I don't want to get into all the labels and all the things that they do in order to pump up numbers, you know, from amino spiking, amino spiking and things like that. We have talked about that on on the show before, but uh, yeah, some of those protein powders out there, we have our favorites, right? And we, we, we talk about those and we have some stuff coming out to to give you guys so you guys can go find those if you want them. But the that where you get your protein from or where it's sourced is important. So you could be wasting some money on the type of protein that you're, you're, you're getting you could be overpaying. Yeah. You could be overpaying. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing is it's a waste of money. If that's, if you're depending on your protein powder as your major source of protein within your dietary intake, uh, I think that's a waste of money. I think your money would be better spent getting real Food, whole foods yeah. and, you know, again, we talk about that a lot on the on the show. Uh, it is a supplement, and and to, to Stephen's point, he recommends them because people are generally under eating them. It's an easy way to get it in. Uh, but I'm always going to recommend whole food over the protein powder. But I also know me trying to get all of my protein on a daily basis without some some protein powder is extraordinarily difficult for me. Uh, and so I use protein powder. But I don't depend on it as a major source of my protein. And I think if you're doing that, you're wasting money. Not only because, you know, you could be spending it on whole food, which comes with a lot more, you know, more nutrients, right? You, you, it's more bioavailable uh, in, in most cases or can be a lot more bioavailable going back to, you know, what the, where your protein is sourced and those kind of things. So there's, a, there's a lot of things that come with that. Um, also I will tell you, you know, there's a lot of question about like, depending on how your, 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 what your dietary intake looks like, what's in the system, how long will that protein stay in there? Does it go through, uh, does it just go straight through your system and out the other side? How much can you actually absorb? So this goes back to the amount of protein. I'm not talking grams in one sitting. I'm talking like, Hey, I'm putting this powder this predigested powder into my system, is my body efficient at uptaking it? And if you're just slamming it full of, you know, let's say 50% of your protein intake is coming from, from powder, you're not getting all of that. You're not getting all of it. It's going out. Some of it's just going straight out the other side, in which case I would say that's a waste of money. Uh, spend your, yeah, spend money, spend your money elsewhere. Yeah. yeah important, important caveats that, yeah, it's supplements are supplemental. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need any. If your diet was exactly on point, flawless, you don't need any supplements. Same with the source of the food, yeah. though, as far as yeah, there's yeah, there's too many other factors well. that uh, that interfere with the ability for the diet to be ideal, and that's where supplements come in. But yeah, over relying on yeah, that, that's an important uh, important distinction to make. If you're over relying on it and you're spending whatever hundreds of dollars on just re-upping your protein every five minutes, then yeah, you probably should reallocate some funding to actual food. Next question. What are the best sports for kids? Mm, I, I like this question. Yeah, we'll hit it. <laughs> um, I think the best sports for kids depends on what age, but I think, you know, this day and age that whatever the kid enjoys doing mm. is the best sport for them. Um, my caution as a parent would be, and also an athletic trainer would be any sport where there's continuous repetitive movements for a long period of time, especially as they are um, with the younger kids because they're still growing and they, their growth plates are still developing. And, um, you know, you don't want to overstress them too much. Um, but I would say, you know, whatever kids enjoy. So when I am... Um, 
referring to um, sports where there's a lot of repetitive motion over a, a, a long period of time. I'm thinking of like cross country. I'm thinking uh, cross country running or swimming and those types of sports where there's con- continuous repetitive movement patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's that's just me as far as as an athletic trainer and a parent. Um, I'd also probably avoid collision sports, you know, as Thank kids you. are still young, you know, growing and stuff like that, especially um, with, you know, the brain still developing and, and those types of things. However, I know, I know, you know, we've got hockey and we've got football and all of that. And no, we shouldn't stop them from playing that if that's what they want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. That's just my two cents right now. No. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, that's, I'm not a parent myself, but I wasn't super keen on the idea of like my nephew playing tackle football when he was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more and more research that's coming out that suggests that blows to the head starting from that age is there may be some, some problems there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, as, at least as far as my, when I was a kid, yeah, it it really boiled down to what I wanted to do. Um, which for me, I, all I wanted to play was baseball. Um, you know, I played football and basketball, like on the playground, but as far as organized sports, that was all that I wanted to do. And my, my parents supported me in that. And had I wanted to do something else, I think they would have been okay with, you know, with me, with me doing something else. Um, I think there is, you know, more so now it seems like parents are assigning their kids Mm -hmm. activities. Like you are going to do this and this and this Mm -hmm. and this, um, like you need to do music lessons and a sport and art and, you know, um, it's a lot. Yeah. They're, 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 uh, placing tasks on their, on their children instead of letting them kind of explore what they're naturally drawn to. Yeah. The, the best sport for your, what's the best sport to get your kids into? It's the one that they like doing and they're going to enjoy doing it. Not the one that you like. Exactly. Uh, that, that I think you start with that, but also I would say this, and this is a little bit more like kind of ideal ideological. And that is choose the sport that allows them to do lots of different things. Um, and so I got to take this back a little bit to like looking at child development and how, how kids are growing, how they're learning, how their bodies are developing over time. And then how sport evolves with that as they get older into their, whatever their sports are that they happen to be playing. I think is it going back to finding out what the sport is that they're going to play or that they really like, understand that also might change for them. But I think, you know, the more sports you can get your kids involved in early, very early, and I'm talking like six, seven years old, where they can just, where sport is play mm-hmm, at this exactly. point, where they get to go out and play. And and yes, there's some competition, but they get to play. Uh, this is where they learn how to move their bodies. This is where they learn, they start to build resiliency. This is where they get knocked down on the field and recognize this is part of playing mm-hmm. the game. And so they build that resiliency. They also build the... They build. They they can start. They start to understand the importance of teamwork and like authority, you know, and what a coach is versus you know who another player is, what peers are, what you do and don't do in these environments or these structures. So, I'm kind of going off topic of the sport itself, but I think when they when they're when they're young, you know, six, seven, eight years old, get them involved in as many things as you can as a parent, mm-hmm. right, or as you can as a kid, you know. And so you mentioned baseball, and you fell in love with baseball when I was a kid played a few different sports. Soccer was kind of like very available and really competitive and 
it's kind of what everybody was doing. So I did a lot of that, but I also played baseball. And then um, uh, I did was not allowed to play football until I got to high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going back to the collision stuff, but as they evolve as athletes or as kids and humans, mm-hmm. but then also as athletes, you start to, as they move into like that 12-ish age, 10, 12-ish age from that six to eight-year-old or whatever, even younger, what happens is whatever sport they've chosen starts to be less about just kind of being out there. Everybody plays, everybody, you know, gets a turn, you know, let's make sure everybody gets an at-bat or gets their, their playing time, whatever, to position type stuff. Like now you're starting to specialize a little bit. Yeah. You're starting to learn like what you like as a, or what you're good at as an athlete, right? And a soccer analogy would be like, or even baseball is like, am I, am I good at pitching? Is that going to be my thing? Or Am I the first base baseman or do I play center field? What am I the shortstop? Like, and once you start to understand where you fit into the scheme of whatever the sport is, then things start to get a little bit more specialized, right? And so you have to dedicate a little bit more time. Uh, and so you want to have had all the experiences that you can in terms of developing your body as a child, right? And developing coordination and speed and understanding how to do the basic things like running, moving, falling down, getting up, uh, you know, how to, how to move through space, where you are in space, all of that stuff. So choosing a, choosing sports that allow kids to be able to do that, I think are really important because once you get into your teens, that that's when it's like, now I almost have to select a yeah. sport. Like I don't have that opportunity anymore. And particularly now everything's become very specialized. So I think choose wisely, you know, as a parent and allow that exploration process to happen um, and, and try not to get caught up too early in what is going to be inevitable down the line, which is your kid, if they stay in sports, is going to want to choose one thing. They're going to want to do one thing only. That doesn't have to happen as soon as you might think. And be careful about getting caught into that trap because you're talking about like the repetitive mm-hmm. stuff. Like when you, if, you're st- if your kid starts swimming, and we see this a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the gym, we, let's just say swimming. Your kid starts swimming at five, they're on swim team, and they're still swimming by the end of of, uh, you know, high school or whatever, it, it, maybe they're very competitive and they're being very competitive, but I just see them burned out mm-hmm. and the, all those repetitive movement injuries because they don't, it's not the same as I swim for the season, mm-hmm. then I play soccer for this season, then I play baseball for this season. And then, you know, maybe there's a summer basketball camp I go to where I've learned all these things and my, my body gets to move and I get to, you know, in different directions. It's the same thing. And yep. I, swimming is like, First off, I think it's like the most boring thing in the whole world uh, for a parent <laughs> and for a kid. But that 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 that's neither here nor there. The point of that is, is like that one, that one. There's no and there's no posterior loading. They're not building or developing a lot of strength, if any, uh, after a certain period of time. It's just kind of we're just we're just repeating the same movements over and over and over again, which can have issues yeah. down the line. Yeah. The other thing is too, you know, if you, if you get your child into a sport and then it becomes that sport specific and it follows them all the way through to high school, you know, a lot of kids um, are in their sport longer than most professional players mm-hmm. are in their sport. So I think that's kind of an interesting fact as well. And, you know, the other thing that I've noticed and, and maybe it's just, it's just me, but growing up in in Southern California and then moving away to the Midwest, um, I noticed that it seems like there are kids here where they get um, into a sport and they're in that sport 
for however long, you know, whether it's junior high into high school. Whereas in the Midwest, because there are seasons and maybe because I was in a small town as well, um, there were more opportunities to move from sport to sport. The sport was more seasonal. Um, And the other thing is too, um, we just didn't have the larger organizations to where you can be sport specific Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was, this was something that came to mind while we were talking about this. I think there's, because while on an organized basis, baseball was the only thing that I ever did. I was still playing basketball and soccer and football Mm -hmm. and running and doing all of these other activities, just like on the playground, just being a kid playing just, uh, you know, in PE in, you know, at a young age. And uh, I'm not sure that kids of elementary school age now are still engaging in those same types of activities. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know on their free time, they definitely are not, which we were, you know, just because I wasn't playing an organized baseball game when I was just farting around with my friends on the weekend, we were playing basketball at somebody's house. We were riding bikes. Yeah. yeah, Riding bikes. We were going and tackling each other at Mm -hmm. the playground, you know, playing football. So we were, we were getting exposed to all the different movement patterns, just that we were just being children. Same. You know? yeah. And I think that's, you know, like working out or like, uh, it turned, we, we, we talked about playing, like it, we've turned it into, it's not play anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a chore. Whenever we, we turn PE into like a, like a requirement instead of like, this is your or play, pu- yeah. play time. Uh, that was that, I think that's where we started to go a little bit wrong with it. I mean, so yes, you have to, there has to be a, you must, you know, mm-hmm. with kids and, and things sometimes or a lot of times, but, uh, yeah, giving them the opportunity to play. So with, I'm going to answer the question maybe a little bit more directly. And I say, like, if I had to choose one and, uh, for, for, for your kid to get into cause you're not sure, uh, you talked about this, like kids get into a sport and they spend longer in it than professionals stay in an entire career. I, I wished when I was younger that I maybe had done something or or some things that I could have carried with me specifically as a sport longer in life. And I mentioned this earlier in the podcast where jujitsu was something that I discovered late in life and I really, really enjoy it, enjoyed it. And, but I, I really missed out on all the things that you can gain from jujitsu early in in life and the things you don't have to worry about as much, (laughs) you know, early in life. Um, Also knowing that, that, Things like martial arts, specifically jujitsu, or I'm going to say grappling, wrestling, uh, those types of sports, they teach your body all kinds of different things. And there's also there's also this um, this concept of self reliance uh, that comes up, and and winning and losing. And when you're on a team, it's really easy to maybe discard the blame to somebody else, or you know, like versus being on the jujitsu mat, you either you're either winning or you're losing, mm-hmm. right? It's, there's no in-between. So you learn a lot of lessons there. But the physical things that you learn on the mat and, and things like that and things like wrestling, and I have some I have a, some really good friends with their, their, their daughter's got a college wrestling scholarship, so this is not just for the, for the boys, mm-hmm. right? This is for, mm-hmm. the, for girls, even, even, uh, even the 11-year-olds, you know, been into the jiu-jitsu. There's a lot of things that can get pulled out of that. And you can always go back to it, right? Like, you don't have to necessarily do the competitions or whatever, but if like, Oh, you know, I'm not doing as much jujitsu right now. I'm going to go play hockey and that doesn't work out. I can go back to the jujitsu, right. Or the martial art, whatever, whatever it is. I like martial arts for kids. I just don't like the racket that tends to come with martial arts schools and studios. And, you know, basically you're paying for belts. 
Um, that's why I kind of like, and jujitsu I've seen it being been kept a little bit more pure in a lot of cases, because I think it translates to a lot of other things in terms of, you know, development and whatever. So uh, I like that one a lot. Uh, and uh, I'm a little biased to it, partly because I'm jealous of all the people that had more time in it than I did mm -hmm. and particularly as kids. But I, I, I like that as a, as a choice. Um, yeah, get to, get to the local jujitsu studio, man. Like figure, figure that out. Go, go watch some classes with the kids and the, and the instructors. And, uh, it's a great sport and a great art form, uh, for, for, for kids to get into. Next question. How many exercises should I do per body part to gain muscle? Well, um, so muscle building mm -hmm. uh, and how many should I do? So there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it really what we're talking about is um, is time under tension for each body part and, and what it takes in terms of time under tension in order to get it to grow. And there are other variables there. There are, there are overload principles uh, there. There are recovery principles that, that exist there. How are you applying these things? But how many reps and sets? And I think it also depends on like, where are you in your journey? Yep. Your exercise history, right? Yeah. 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 Where are you in your exercise journey? So we could break this down in a couple of different ways without going into a whole, uh, you know, physiology of exercise uh, course or lecture. Uh, where do we start with this? I, I was going to say, where would you start with this? Well, I think, okay, let's start with the beginner. Okay. So this is somebody that's just walking into the, the gym. It's like, I want to build muscle. How many reps and sets do I need to do? Uh, so first off, uh, the more is better principle is not a great, great thing to be thinking about when you walk in Agreed. as a beginner. So for beginners, what you should be thinking about doing is doing some very basic movement patterns a few days a week, things that you can continually build on. You don't have to come up with different exercises every time you come to the gym. Pick the ones, if, whatever you pick, you're going to stick to that for four to six to eight weeks at a time, maybe as many as eight weeks at a time before you start maybe making some changes. It could even go longer depending on how your body's adapt adapting. Maybe it goes as long as 12 or 16 weeks with the same movement patterns. Just, you know, we're, we're adjusting the variables um, uh, from a reps, reps and sets perspective. Then if, you know, you're moving into maybe the more of the intermediate lifter and then more of the advanced lifter, these things will change. Like I mentioned that before, like mm -hmm. the difference between getting your squat from 100 pounds to 200 pounds is a much different program and the reps and sets are going to look a lot different than they will for somebody that's trying to go from 500 pounds to 550 pound squat <laughs> or 600 pound squat, right? It's much different. Um, the, the next thing that I think to, to look about, look at is like, okay, so if we start to kind of like divide the body up into its different body parts, its mm -hmm. constituent parts, and you looked at sort of what are the larger muscle groups versus the smaller muscle groups, this may give you some direction as far as how many reps and sets should I do per, per body okay. part. So if we were looking at the bigger body parts, right, for, again, for the beginner, bigger body parts, you know, yeah. we're thinking about like our pushers and our pullers. Yep. Uh, so chest and back as uh, is, is to make, to keep it, really simple. And then, uh, you know, we go down the lower extremity, look at quads, hamstrings, glutes. Those are going to be like our much larger, you know, body parts. And, and there you can start to kind of divide things up a little bit. And again, it's about time under tension and the principle, the, the principle of overload. And how do we do that? Um, while also keeping, so balancing that out. So as a new, as a newbie, it might start with somewhere between two and three sets of 10 to maybe 12, and it could be more, you could go more. Like a brand new person could do 20 reps and still build muscle. Mm -hmm. But in general, uh, I think you could go, you know, 10 to 12, maybe as many as 15 reps in two to three sets uh, for, let's just say like your bench press to start to 
impact the the neuromuscular system and the physiology in a way where it would go respond. through that. Yeah, it would respond through that hypertrophy process. Um, agree or disagree? Agree. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty it's it's pretty simple, right? So if you if you applied the same concept to your you know to the back you know with your with your poles or whatever, again three sets of a particular exercise. As you get more advanced, the number of exercises, therefore the number of sets and the number of reps could increase. But if you just stuck to so let's st- say you start out you're a brand newbie, and you went in and you picked one major exercise for each major body part, mm-hmm. right? And you just did those. You could do those maybe three times a week. Yep. You're going to have to change this, but I'm talking chest, back, and legs all in the mm-hmm. same day. You know, one or uh, sorry, two sets each of ten to twelve repetitions at a weight where, when I get to that twelfth repetition, I am at what we'll call fatigue. I cannot necessarily do more. I'm not talking about maxing out. We're just talking about like I may have two in the tank or two reps in reserve or three mm-hmm. reps in reserve. As a newbie, you might not even know what that is yet, but. I'm getting to a point like, wow, that's getting a little bit tough. That's getting harder. I need to put this down. Uh, You could do your whole body three times a week, two sets, 10 to 12 reps each uh, for the first couple of weeks and get a, uh, and be sending a hypertrophy or an anabolic signal and a hypertrophy signal in order to build muscle. Now, as you start to get more advanced, your body adapts to that. And those light, those weights feel lighter. You obviously have to, you you know, and, and, they're, they don't become lighter, but your body starts to adapt to, uh, you know, the the impacts they're having on them. You're going to have to up them, right? Increase and, your load. And you can increase your load and you can also increase your yep. reps and sets. So at some point, once you probably in the neighborhood of like, if you even amped it up to like four sets of 10 to 12 reps, it's probably time to start thinking about adding in an additional type of exercise for that that area of your body. So like I may go through three sets of 10 to 12, let's say, barbell bench press. And then I start to add in a couple of sets, maybe two to three sets of cable chest fly. If I'm working my chest today, uh, going back to that 10 to 12 set, um, scheme. Uh, I don't, I don't know if we're getting too deep into the weeds here. I mean, we could, we're, I don't want to put together an entire program, Mm -hmm. but reps and sets are very important, right? That's really the basis for, are we training strength? Are we training hypertrophy? Are we training power? Are we training endurance? Uh, all of those things matter. So if there's a building phase that goes here, but if, a, if you're, if you're novice, that's where I would start. I would start with, you know, two to three sets, 10 to 12 reps, uh, on, on, on those body parts. As you move on, I just kind of went through like, and this is how you might increase that. Uh, I'll just say this. I mean, this is a shameless plug. Like that's what RDF Strong is. That's what we do there. Uh, it's a, it's about giving you this programming based on where you're coming into it as a, as a, as a user. And so it's really rooted in what we just talked about in this overload principle, uh, principle of uh, specificity, um, and, and managing the adaptations that come along over the weeks and months that you're doing the program in order to build strength and muscle. It is a hypertrophy program as well. I mean, you start kind of with some basic movement patterns and start to build a little bit of strength. Then we get into a hypertrophy phase. Then we come back into a, a, a capacity phase where we're really primed to build that strength. But, uh, that's really what, um, that's really what the strong program is. I mean, there's a lot to be said for how many reps and reps and sets. There's yeah. a lot of depends there, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's a, that's a good for place a to start for somebody. Answer, yeah. The more advanced you get, the more, the more complexity. specific and the more complexity exists. Yeah. Next question. How should I eat to lose belly fat? 
Oh man, <laughs> less. Yeah, it's called uh, push away. <laughs> no, I mean you guys know yeah. the, the yeah. reality of that. Sometimes people yeah. need to eat more. Yeah, uh, to lose belly fat. So it's interesting. It's it's the belly fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where do you want to start with this one. Well, I mean, I guess to to begin, you really can't spot lose body fat. Um, everyone would like to target that the belly fat specifically because that's where most people carry it. Um, and that's typically where they have their, their accumulation of, of body fat. Um, I mean, yeah, how should I eat? Well, I mean, I would, I would for most people not to, it feels like beating a dead horse, but increasing your protein consumption for most people is a good place to start. Um, Mm -hmm. that's usually where people are sort of, uh, are going awry, um, is their, their macro balance is, shifted in favor of carbohydrates versus Mm -hmm. protein. Um, and that causes a whole host of problems. It's not necessarily, and I think this is an important distinction to make. It's not necessarily that eating carbs makes you fat. Right. Um, because I think a lot of people get that idea that the more carbs you eat, the more weight you will gain. It's not necessarily the carbs in and of themselves. It's what the carbs do to your blood sugar and how that affects your eating patterns in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I was having this conversation with someone earlier today, actually. Um, when you are, when the, the macro balance is shifted more towards uh, specifically carbohydrates, not as much fat um, versus protein, you are going to get these spikes and crashes of blood sugar throughout the day. Um, and that is where we get into this, this cycle of craving, binging, um, and, uh, and, and over consuming. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's not as much about, yeah, that carbs themselves are, are bad. Um, but, uh, the protein comes in to serve as kind of a stabilizing force for your energy levels, as well as your blood sugar, which kind of just improves your eating habits in general. And, Mm -hmm decreases your likelihood of overeating. So I I would say, I guess to answer the question as concisely, um, protein and fiber, those those tend to be the two big ones for most people when they're, when they are trying to lose weight, they're Mm -hmm. probably under consuming both of those and over consuming carbohydrates. And that is throwing off their, their eating patterns. That makes sense. Yeah. Therefore they're storing excess body fat or not burning the body fat that they have. Yeah. The energy that they have. I mean, the bottom line is, yeah. I mean, you said it, man, there's no way to target a specific area of your body and taking body fat off of it. Despite all the, all the infomercials you might see early on Saturday morning or late, late at night. Or if you wear a belt thing that makes you sweat. uh, Creams and (laughs) creams and salves, man. Salves and creams. There's none of that stuff works. And so you're, you you know, in that sense, uh, it's not going to burn fat. It just doesn't. uh, And it doesn't period. Uh, and neither will eating any type of way, right? So your body will burn, uh, stored body fat in the way that it sees fit. It's pre-programmed, you know, sort of into your DNA. There's nothing you can do to speed it up in one place over another. Uh, there's a lot of things people try to do to manipulate these things. There are things that you can do to speed up the loss of body fat. And, um, you know, we, we talk about those things on the show, but yeah, it's really about, you know, if, if, if belly fat is your concern, then what you're what you're really telling me is is you'd like to drop some fat mass in general in, in yeah. general yeah. 
and uh, may not come off there first if we've if you're doing yep. the right things, which Stephen is kind of giving you some tips to to start with. It's like, hey, well, maybe try changing your protein consumption, which will change your macronutrient balance. Also, when you're bringing on more protein, you're bringing on the amino acids and things that you, many other things that uh, carbohydrate can't bring on. And your body can, if it's needing a little bit more carbohydrate somewhere, and maybe you're a little under you're under eating, it can convert that protein into to carbohydrate for you if it needs to. So. That, you know, there's not a concern that you're not going to get enough carbohydrate. Trust me on this. You should not be concerned about that. You, you'll know if that's the case. And that just probably means you're under eating, period. Uh, but my, yeah, the, the, the whole target, you know, this particular area for fat loss or toning or whatever else, like I, we're still talking about it because it still sells to people out there. I've seen some really wacky devices and supplements and things like that, but yeah, you just get your macro balance under control and start by understanding what your total daily need is and what your current intake is. And that's really easy to do. I mean, we can, we, we, we've already put out a free guide out there. If you go to rdfguides.com, uh, there's a free guide there on how to calculate that TDEE and where that's your total daily, uh, daily energy expenditure. And there's a calculation there on how to kind of calculate out your, your current macronutrient profile and maybe make some adjustments to it. Start there. Eventually that belly fat's coming off. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's energy in versus energy out. That's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but it's also not that complicated. Yeah, you got to be in a deficit, but you, you, you have to do that the right way. Otherwise you could wind up putting on, your belly could be softer in the end than when you started. Next question. Are there supplements, vitamins, or minerals that are good for mental health? I suffer from depression, have intense mood swings, and think nutrition could play a role. Well, first off, nutrition absolutely can, mm-hmm. can play a role there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, this is the disclaimer. None of us are doctors here, but we, mm-hmm. we've, uh, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. Uh, and you don't have to be a doctor to have a lot, of, probably a good amount of the information that we're going to, we're going to probably put out here. But absolutely diet can impact your, 100%. your, your, your mental and emotional state. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it would begin with if you are, having mood swings or depression, it's important to keep in mind. We think about the brain, but the the gut is the second brain and it, your eating habits obviously directly affect your gut health and serotonin, the majority of serotonin is produced in your gut. So if you are eating in a way that is unhealthy for your gut microbiome, it can actually, it can have a, an absolutely direct effect on your mood. Um, I mean, yeah. And then we just talked about uh, blood sugar, um, and blood sugar stabilization, um, being, you know, hypoglycemic can yep. put you in a bad mood uh, that, you know, blood sugar swings can definitely affect your mood. Um, uh, but if we're talking, I mean, yeah, that's that there's, there's a lot there. There's a yeah. lot. Yeah, there's there. a I lot mean, there to unpack all, as I, yeah. the more I think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say as far as supplements, you know, we did two podcasts where we talked about, um, adaptogens mm-hmm. and nootropics and, and stuff as well. So, uh, yeah. And so there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Mm-hmm. And so we'll try to keep this a little bit more high level, but you nailed it, Stephen, with the importance of gut health. And mm-hmm. it's so overlooked by so many people. They don't even, they just don't realize it. Uh, it they eat quote unquote healthy, but their, their gut biome isn't, isn't, uh, isn't working in the best way it can. And what people don't understand a lot of times is how even the SSRIs can ha- can impact that, mm-hmm. that being those, those, those medications and other medications, antibiotics, birth control, uh, all kinds of stuff can impact that, that gut biome. So 
I mean, if you just look at your the, the labels on the people looked at the labels on the drugs and what the side effects or potential side effects could be, you know, on the things that they're taking. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, like there's 20% of the people, it's like one in five people are already taking two prescription medications in the United States of America. That's a lot, right? So we're all taking stuff that that impacts, it directly impacts the rest of the body. You can't just take something and expect that it ta- it flips this this switch and and it doesn't impact something else. That's not that's not the way it works. So, um, yeah, gut biome being a being a, a super important thing. So, from a like a supplement perspective, which is what they're asking, diet uh, that goes down a whole. That's a very deep hole we could get into about like, hey, well, let's go back to you know. What is your macronutrient profile? What are your total, uh, what are, what's your total caloric need? What are you doing now? Are you consistent with this? You know, let's talk about hydration. Let's talk about the medications that you're putting in your system and, and how they impact the processing of the stuff that you're putting in or could potentially impact that. But going back to gut health, like there are a ton of things that are a ton of supplements that, that are generally what will, or sorry, nutrients that we'll, we'll see that are generally low in people that have gut problems. Uh, magnesium being one of those things, zinc being one of those things, uh, and um, vitamin D being another one of those things. Uh, there's, there's a lot of them that, that they, they come up, but those are like major ones that, that the folks that suffer from, from poor gut health and are on these medications uh, deal with. So like from a supplement perspective, yes, we actually talk about that. We've written a few blogs on that. If you go to our website, go to um, rdftrainonline.com and just go to the articles that we have there. We, we talk, about, uh, talk about a few of these things when in the gut health, uh, in one of the gut health blogs, blogs there. Um, so you can, you can take a look at that. Uh, but to your point, Cece, we've done podcasts on uh, both nootropics and adaptogens. And I don't know, Stephen. I mean, but I'm listening to this podcast now, yeah. and I want an answer. So, now. what do you? What can you tell them in 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 brief um, with regard to what they may be thinking about doing? Uh, a number one would probably be uh, an omega three supplement. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of research coming out about the positive benefits on mood and depression for uh, from fish oil supplements or marine uh, other marine sourced uh, uh, omega three. Um, like products. Cr- cr- is that like krill oil? Uh, like algae omegas. Um, if you are, uh, if you are not someone who wants to consume any type of fish, then there are, yeah, algae-based omegas. There are, uh, there are plant-based omega-3 sources as well. Flax oil, things like that. Um, but your fish oil is probably going to be your highest potency and highest concentration. Um, vitamin D is going to be important. Um, rhodiola, uh, rosea, which we talked about in that, mm-hmm. uh, adaptogen, uh, podcast that has, um, that has had some positive effects on depression. Five uh, HTP is uh, one that comes up as far as a serotonin precursor. Um, tryptophan or five HTP, they're kind of in the same ballpark as one another. Um, there are a few others that are oh, saffron. Mm. Uh, saffron is an herb that actually has been uh, has been demonstrated to have nearly the same benefits as SSRIs. Yeah, Ayurvedic. Yeah. Yeah. you know, side of things. They, they figured it out. They figured it out a lo- long yeah. time ago. Yeah. About a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the, those are a few, um, that I can think of off the top of my head. You mentioned magnesium already. Um, that could be beneficial. I'm trying to think if there's any others that I can think of off the top of my head. Those are really kind of the main ones. Um, not to throw too much at people yep. all at once. Um, yeah, I think the big takeaway here is cleaning up your diet, mm-hmm. you know, as it relates to making sure you're getting adequate you know, macro, micronutrients and calories, right? Like 
from the in the way that you should be getting them in order to just be healthy uh, can certainly impact you know mental mm. and emotional state and mood. Right? Uh, obviously, we we talk sort of a lot about the gut health thing there. If you're doing that, it could help clean this up for you. Understand it. It might take some time. So it's one of those things. Like I think when you talk about how can food or supplements help me? A lot of this is, is like, you have to be consistent with this over time. This is not something you're just going to pop in your system and magically in a couple of days feel better. Yeah. Benefit where now I feel great. Right. So I think keeping track of what you're doing is really important in this. Like in terms of, it's not just taking them. It's like, what am I taking? Don't throw too many things into the mix at one time. uh, So you can track sort of subjective and objective data. Like what am I feeling? How am I feeling? Uh, what did I do on this particular day? That can be really helpful for you. Um, you know, depression is is a is a thing, and uh, it's it affects so so many people uh, globally. Uh, but we see it all the time. And look, when people, I'm glad I'm glad this person is asking this question because they're they're going down the right path. Like, mm-hmm. bef- it's a good place to begin. Yeah, if you've got to get medication from your doctor and take that life jacket, fucking take it. Yep. Right, you you take that and you. You take it for as long as you need to, to get back to the shore. <laughs> but when you get back to the shore, you need to address the other things so that you can get back up, back upstream and then get back into the boat again or whatever. So you're not in that situation the same way you were. So you take the life track. Not, we're not bad mouthing meds here. I'm just saying like, Hey, when you do this, just think about these things too. And then, then work with your physician or whatever over time to maybe, you know, talk about dialing back or adjusting meds. If you're on those to, to help you, um, to, to, I guess to help you from more of like a holistic perspective to get to where you need to go. Um, so great, great question. Glad you're asking it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.